the Holy Spirit would take the eternal truth uh, of your word and you would apply it to our hearts and our minds and that we would leave here having seen you more fully and more clearly. Uh, we pray this morning as we think about what it looks like uh, to make disciples and to encourage one another in that. And we just pray that you would uh, just continue to point us more fully to you and the work that you are doing in and through us. Uh, we thank you. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, I'm going to start with a question that may sound a, a little bit like a joke, but it's not. And I want you to think about this for just a second. Uh, do you have someone uh, in your life that will tell you when you have a booger on your face? Right? Do you have someone that will tell you like when you eat and you get something stuck between your teeth and you're walking around with like a great big like poppy seed in between your teeth that will kind of pull you aside and go, hey, there's like something in your tooth, like right there that you need to, right? Do you have someone in your life that will, will say those kind of things to you, that will come alongside of you and, and point those things out? Because, you know, it takes a little bit uh, uh, somebody that you have some sort of a relationship with. Right. Like if you've ever been, you know, this is true, because if you've ever been like like a cocktail party or something and you just meet somebody and you're talking to them and then they turn the other way and they've got like a big glob of dip on their face or something. And you're like, should I say something or should I not? Like you don't know them very well. And then you keep talking and then you go on for a while and then you're like, oh, this is really awkward if I say it now because it's been there for like two minutes. Right. You know what I'm talking about? You've gone through that before. And so then you go, oh, well, somebody else will say it. And then you walk off and let somebody else do it. Right. But it's important that we have those people in our life. Right. That will that will come alongside, that will speak the truth to us, that will tell us uh, something like that. As silly as that is. But it's important because the person that will tell you that is also likely to be the person that will tell you more important things. That will be able to speak the truth to you in your life that will tell you maybe something difficult, uh, maybe something you're missing, maybe something that's that's a lot harder to hear because it goes more to character or the way you're living or what that looks like. And if we can't say the, the practical kind of silly things like that, most likely we're not going to be able to take on the deeper, more meaningful, important things. And, and the reason I start there, and, and I know that sounds kind of like a joke, but there's a sincere, important part of this when we begin to think about this idea of speaking the truth to each other. And in the text, Mike just read for us, as, as we're kind of turning the corner in Ephesians, we're now in Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at the beginning of that as Luke took us through that last week. As we start to see, Paul's getting the very practical application of all the great theology that he's just laid on us in the first three chapters. He has these soaring, great, big, huge things that he says about who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him and what that looks like. But as we get to the second half of Ephesians, he's going to take those theological truths and he's going to begin to to give us practical application of what it looks like to live these things out. And as we get into Ephesians four, Luke took us through the beginning of that last week and he talks about how God's gifted us differently and he's put different people in our midst with different gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you see that in verse 11, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And we say this often, that if you are in Jesus and you've put your faith in him, and by grace through faith you've been saved, you are a saint. The Bible talks of you that way. And so when it talks about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, it's talking about believers, all believers. And that's sometimes hard for us to hear. But the reason we're saints is not because we're perfect, but because Jesus is perfect and we are now in him. And so we, as the saints, are to be equipped for the work of the ministry. 
And then we are to be doing that ministry together, which if we were to distill that down and what scripture says is we're to be making disciples that make disciples. And that is the call of all believers. Now, we do that in different ways. We're gifted in different ways. Luke was hitting on that last week. God's brought us together with those varied gifts to help one another in that. But we're all to be part of this idea of of disciples making disciples. And so this morning, Paul's going to kind of go into that. And what we're going to do and the way we're going to look at this is we think about that mission that we have together of making disciples that make disciples. We need to think about what that means. What does a mature disciple look like? He's going to show us and tell us some things about what an immature disciple looks like. But he's also going to give us a good definition of what a mature disciple looks like, what it looks like to be growing in that. And he's going to also tell us some really important things about how we can help one another in that. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we jump into that, let's just make sure we're clear when we talk about discipleship. We say that often here. We want to be disciples who make disciples. That's the mission of the church. That's what we're called to do. But it's important that we know what we're talking about when we say that. And so discipleship, I often define it just as is growing and our love for Jesus to the point of it's, it's overflowing and we're obeying him in every area of our life. We're seeking to apply who we are in Jesus to everything we do. And in fact, I think the text here has a really good definition that goes right along with that. In verse 15, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, Jesus. Right. That's what he says in verse 15. We are to grow up into him who is the head into Christ. And that's a good definition of what it looks like to grow in discipleship. And so I want us to think about what that looks like this morning. It's real simple. Uh, We're just going to ask these two questions. What does the mature disciple look like? We're going to consider what it doesn't look like to help clarify that. And then secondly, how do we help one another in that process? And so if you want to follow along with me in Ephesians chapter four, let's jump in at verse 13. Right. So he's just said that God's given different gifts within the body to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There it is again, growing up into the fullness of who we are in Christ. Verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful screens. And so verse 14 is what it's not. Verse 13 is what it is. And then verse 15 is what it is. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so there's this this uh, comparison he gives us there as we consider that question of what it looks like to grow up and to be a disciple, to be a mature believer, to grow up into this mature manhood, as he says there, that we want to be growing. And he says so that we would not be verse 14. And so let's consider what he says there first of what it doesn't look like, what immaturity looks like. And he says in verse 14 that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And he says immaturity looks like that we're easily swayed and moved and carried away from the truth. 
that we're easily influenced by things that come into our life and different ideas and thoughts. And we easily get moved away from the truth of God's word. And I think this is such an important thing that he says here because it's vitally relevant for the culture that we live in. We are bombarded constantly with ideas and positions and beliefs all around us. We live in a time where we're very divided in our culture, often along political lines, but in a lot of other ways than that. And so what ends up happening is, is we're often presented with two ideas and they're opposing and they're fighting at each other. And people usually jump on one or the other and they start to kind of butt heads with the other side on those things. But sadly, what you see a lot of times is the two things that are presented. Neither one are very biblical. Neither one of them are rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so we get bombarded with these ideas. Well, are you this or are you that? And, and the truth is, as a believer, we should probably be neither. But we get infused with these ideas constantly and it begins to sway us and move us into different areas that we were never called to be as believers. And he uses the example, he says, you're, you're like a child when you do that. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me when I read that. Uh, my youngest son, Quinn, is seven years old. And, and I was thinking just in my relationship with Quinn and the way we talk and the things we go through. If I go back about a year and a half ago, I could tell Quinn anything and he would believe me. Right? Anything, pretty much. He asked me a question, whatever I tell him, it's like, yes, that's true. Right? We're driving down the street and he sees a cell phone tower by the highway. He says, Dad, what is that? I'm like, that is a rocket launcher that launches rockets right there. And he's like, awesome. That is great. Right? He's so excited. And then I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. It's a cell phone tower. And he's like, oh, okay. That's kind of disappointing. Right? But I could tell him whatever and he'd get really, really excited about it. Now, today, if he asked me the same thing, and I said, well, it's a rocket launcher. He'd be like, you're kidding, right? That's what he would say to me now. Now that he's seven, he would go, I don't know about that. Are you serious? Now, I can still say to him, yes, I'm serious, and it's a rocket launcher, and he'll go, okay, and he'll get excited about it. But he'll at least ask the question, are you kidding? Are you serious about that? And what happens from the age of five until now seven and a half is he's starting to get a little bit of discernment. He's starting to think through those things, and it's not just anything I tell him that he goes, yeah, okay, that must be what it is. He's starting to ask those questions, and that is a natural thing as we get older. We get more experience. We start to see the world. We start to take things in. We start to uh, learn how to process information and what is real and what is not. And that's a normal thing when we're growing. And what Paul's saying is that as a believer, that it's the same way. When we become a Christian and we're coming new to this and we're coming into the word and we're trying to figure out what this looks like, we're like a child. There's a lot of things that come in and we're not sure how to take them. And our culture saying one thing and the Bible saying something different. And we're trying to sort those out. And if we don't spend time rooting ourselves and grounding ourselves in God's word and we're being bombarded by these things, it will easily move us. And we'll start to embrace other things that maybe aren't biblical. And so Paul's saying we don't want you to be like that as a child. You, that you're easily moved from one thing to the next. Uh, Hebrews talks about this as well. Hebrews chapter five talks about this idea of growing up in the faith. And the author of Hebrews says some of you are still taking a bottle. You're, you're still drinking milk when you should be eating solid food. Right. It's, it's a very uh, good analogy. 
It's a good uh, word picture that it paints there for you. Right. It, it makes sense for a two year old or a one year old to be walking around with a bottle to be feeding them in that way. It doesn't make sense for a teenager to be walking around with a bottle. And Paul says it shouldn't be that way. As we're growing up and we're maturing and we're becoming disciples and we're taking in what God says, it should be forming the way we see things and we shouldn't be easily moved. But he says some are that way. Some of you are like children that are still being moved. You hear something. You listen to a podcast. You, you turn on the news. You take it in and you go, yeah, that sounds right. And it may be the opposite of what Scripture says. And if we don't know what Scripture says, we don't, we're not rooting and grounding ourselves in God's Word, we're easily going to be moved. And, and there's an important distinction to think about as to why. And, and I want you to hear this because it's really, really important that we think about this. In, in verse 14, he says that you won't be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. But then he says by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's something going on that Paul's talking about that's more than just there's a bunch of ideas out there. There's actually ideas out there that are seeking to to dupe you into believing these things. And the word that he uses here for schemes, he'll come back to in chapter six. But in chapter six, he'll say that you'll be aware of the schemes of the devil. And what he's going to do, and we'll get to this when we get to chapter six, is he'll go on to talk about spiritual warfare and that the war for ideas in our minds is not just purely ideas that are out there, but there's something more subversive going on. And so what you need to understand is that none of us in our discipleship is neutral. You're either growing or you're sliding, right? If you're just doing nothing, then you're moving the wrong way. It's like being in the current that's pulling you one way or the other. There's no neutral here. You're being bombarded with ideas all the time, everywhere you go. What you listen to, the people you spend time with, you're being bombarded with a way to see the world. Every single one of us is seeing that come at us in different ways. And so quickly, if you think you're just kind of in neutral and you're just floating along, some, you can get moved real quickly. I was thinking about this a, a couple years ago. We went to Florida for vacation and I got in the ocean with uh, Jed and with Asher, my older boys. This is a couple years ago and they're probably like seven and eight years old. And we're playing in the waves and we're having fun and we're kind of there. And the waves started to get bigger and bigger. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is great. They're getting bigger. So we kind of swim, swim out and we're playing in the waves. And all of a sudden I look up and we're 300 yards down the beach, right? From where we came into the water to where we now are is way down there. And all of a sudden I realized we're being pulled like pretty quickly, a long way. And it scared me because they were little. They were pretty good swimmers, but they were little. And so I kind of grabbed them out and said, we're going we're gonna to get out now. Because they were getting so big. But that's the way our culture is in a lot of ways. We think we're in neutral. We think we're seeing and taking things in and I'm good and I'm okay. And I'm not spending time in God's word. I'm not letting uh, the things that the Bible clearly tells me of taking every thought captive. Of abiding in the word. Of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I'm taking in all these things. And suddenly I've been moved from here to here and I didn't even realize it. And it's a scary thing. And I hear it in the way people talk today. There's this phrase that I keep hearing, and I've mentioned this before at different times. But when people talk about their truth, 
You find your truth and I'll find my truth and I'm going to live out of my truth. And you've got your truth. And they say that a lot. And at first you may go, well, what's the big deal? Who cares? They say that, whatever. That is because our culture is being discipled towards relativism. It's something we're bombarded with all the time, whether you realize it or not. What you believe is fine for you and what I believe is fine for me. And you have your truth and I have my truth. And we're told that that's a really good thing and a great idea. But it is a subtle distortion of what the Bible would say is good. Is that true that there's multiple truths that are competing, but they're all good? Do we believe that? If we hold to the Bible, do we believe that? And the answer is no. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus makes this exclusive claim that he is the truth. He's not a truth. He's not a way. He's not one way that you can pick and choose what you like. He's it. And if we claim to know and love Jesus and want to be disciples of him and following him and being obedient in every area of our life, then we believe that Jesus is the truth. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have conversations with people that see it differently. And it doesn't mean you don't be gracious and kind as you do. You do. The Bible tells you that. And you enter into those conversations. And when somebody says, well, I have my truth, you say, well, tell me what your truth is. I want to hear that. And you look for opportunities to share why Jesus is the truth. It doesn't mean you're unkind or ungracious to them and that. But we need to be able to see that for what it is. We need to be able to understand that, that we're not tossed to and fro. And we just go, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. You have your truth and I have my truth. Great. No, the Bible doesn't say that. And if we don't see that and we're not holding to that, then we're quickly being moved. We're getting moved down the beach real quick without even noticing it. And the sad part is because we're not biblically literate, we oftentimes miss those things. I'm stunned by the way that's becoming more and more pervasive. I have people ask me, well, what do you think of so-and-so? It'll be some big televangelist. I think they're pretty good. Oh, uh, really? I go, why? Tell me why. Like, that's usually my question. Well, tell me why you like them. What is, oh, they just seem to be really happy. Okay. <laughs> that might be all right. <laughs> Being happy is not a bad thing. But what happens is we start hearing things and we don't, there's no alarm bell going off of, of that's not quite right. Not that long ago. It was a couple of years ago. Great big mega church. You can come talk to me later if you want to know. Who, I don't like to throw people's names out. I'm not trying to trample on anybody, but I want the, the substance of what we say to be important. Great big mega church, one of the biggest churches in our country. And a pastor and his wife are standing on stage together and she speaks. She's encouraging the people. And this is word for word what she says. I just want to encourage every one of us. To realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. We're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves and that will make us happy. And when we're happy, then God has great joy because we're happy. Do you see a problem with that? 
Is there an issue with with what she said? There is. And if you're having trouble seeing it, that's okay because as a church, that's what we're called to do, to equip one another to be able to see the truth of God's word and hold it up against God's word and to walk together in that. And so if you sit here and you go, that sounds pretty good to me. Why would that be an issue? Please come talk to me. I want us to to take what people say and just because they're a pastor or just because they're in a big church or just because it's me saying it. We hold it up against God's word and what it says. But if you hear that and you go, that sounds pretty good. Just real briefly before we move on two things there. Your greatest joy will be found in seeking God. But seeking God for his sake, because God is good, because there's nothing better. It's not seeking God to use him and using his commands or his laws so that it'll give you something else that I'll be happy. If that's the way you're using God, you're going to be miserable and it's not going to work because you're using God's as a means to some other ends when he is the end. He's it. And when you seek him for him, then everything else will follow. But if you seek him and you just do it for you, so you'll be happy. That does not work. Because your idol is your happiness and you're using God to serve your idol, you and you're at the center. Do you see that? Doesn't work. But then the second thing when we say, if you do that and you'll be happy and then that gives God the greatest joy. You know what that's saying? That God's joy is dependent on you. God's joy is not dependent on you or me. God's joy is perfect and full because of who he is in and of himself. And that is good news. Because otherwise he's impotent and his rise and fall is all based on you and your performance. Which puts you right at the center of all things. And that doesn't work. And so it's important that we can see those things for what they are. That we're not easily duped into those. And we go, oh, that sounds great. Well, that's not great because it's not what Scripture says. And it's not who God is. And that doesn't help. And so we don't want to be children that are easily tossed to and fro. That we hear those things. We flip on the TV because it's somebody on TV. Oh, great. I'll do that. It's not what Scripture says. And we want to be growing up into the fullness of Christ, who is the word, who goes perfectly together with God's word. And Jesus is the word. And so how do we then grow into that? What does it look like? Well, look at what he says in verse 13 and 15. So 14 is the contrast. But 13, he says, until we all talking about all saints, all believers, this is for all of us. Attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure the stature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, growing up into Christ. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You go, what does maturity look like? He says it's growing up into Christ. And the answer is seeing that it's not all about us, that it's Jesus and what God has done for us in Christ. And the more that you see that Jesus is the center of all things, all truth, that Jesus is the answer to your biggest needs and your biggest desires. He's the answers to your struggles 
and your problems. And it's all what he has done and growing up into a fuller and fuller understanding that it's all Jesus. That's what maturity looks like. It's not using Jesus as a means to some other end, but seeing that Jesus is the end. This is what God has done for us in Christ. See, we're, we're all sinners. We're all susceptible of being moved. We're all susceptible to bad doctrines. We're all easily duped into thinking the thing that it's really about you and what you do. And you're the sinner. And we like that. And we go, yeah, yeah, great. It's what immaturity looks like. Maturity is realizing that I can't do it. It's not me. It's what Jesus has done for me. My biggest problem is that I've been separated from God because of my sin and I can never do enough to get back to the relationship that I desire at the very core of my being. That it takes God coming and doing what I could never do for me and doing it in Jesus that I can have that relationship and now I get to abide in Him. I get to be united with Him. The Spirit is now dwelling in me and conforming me to His image to make it all about His glory and His name. And that's what maturity begins to look like. John the Baptist had it. He said, I need to decrease so that he can increase. That's what maturity begins to look like. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what he has done. And when that begins to happen and we begin to see that and we begin to abide in his word and we begin to take thoughts captive, we begin to see how it all comes back to Jesus and what he has done. What happens is it begins to cut off these other bad ideas. It cuts off this idea that uh, you find your truth and I'll find my truth, that it's all relative because, you know, and you live and you understand that I live in Christ and what he's done and nothing else. And I don't know how to function any other way. Somebody says Jesus is a truth. He might kind of help you go. No, he's it. He's all of it. I don't know how to do it without him. He's my entire being. It's what he has done for me and nothing else. And that whole idea of this truth versus it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute because you know what Christ has done. The same is true when it's like, well, just add a little bit of this for your best life now. And you can have joy and happiness if you just follow some of the teachings of Jesus. Bull! That doesn't work. You can't take the teachings of Jesus and just sprinkle them in your life a little bit here and there, and then everything will be great. You know what will happen? You sprinkle them in and then you realize I can't do this and I stink. I desperately need a savior because I don't do this very well. And that's where Jesus becomes greater. Thank you, God, that you've done what I can't do for me. And it's all Jesus. And we start to grow up into that, into him in every way. I can't do this. Only Jesus can. I don't need better information. I need a savior. I need one to come and do what I couldn't do for me. And I start to realize that in every area of my life, I can't do it. And so we begin to die to ourselves. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what God has done. It's about who I am in him. And so that's what maturity begins to look like. 
that's what he's saying when he's talking about growing up into Christ. But here's what I want you to look at. How do we do this? How do we help one another in doing this? And so look at what he says there right at the beginning of verse 15, right? So there's this comparison. We don't want to be children easily moved by different doctrines and deceitful schemes. But then he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into Jesus. He says, we're going to speak the truth in love to one another. I want you to see how he puts all this together. Go back to the beginning of the chapter in verse one. Right? This is all he's, he's pulling all this through. We're going back to what we looked at last week. <clears throat> I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You are now in Jesus. This is what it looks like to be him formed in you, growing up into him. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. And so we're going to speak the truth and love to one another. And what that looks like is that we're going to be patient and gentle and humble and walking and bearing with one another. And so we start to talk about what does it look like to speak the truth and love to one another, that we would grow up into the fullness of Christ. And the truth is we do this very poorly a lot of the time. Right. Speak the truth in love. That is a Christian cliche as, as big as it gets. And I'm not making light of it. It is truth and it is good. And there's a reason that we say it a lot. We say, yeah, speak the truth in love. But we rarely do that well. I want you to think of why we don't do that very well a lot of the time. Say, speak the truth in love. But what happens is oftentimes we're not in relationships that are close enough that someone can tell you you got a booger on your face. Right? It's like we kind of all go, hey, how are you? I'm good. You good? Great. See you later. Right? Somebody else will tell you you got a booger on your face. Right? That's kind of the way we operate. And we're not in relationships deep enough that we get to the place where we feel like we can say those things. And so it takes a commitment of doing the things that the Bible calls us to, uh, of spending time with one another and loving each other and getting involved in one another's lives that we can even get to that. But then as we begin to get closer to that, what happens a lot of times is we see those things. Right? If we're spending time together, we're going to see real quickly, quickly where we're out of step with who Jesus is. Yeah. Spend time with anybody. You start to see those things the closer you are. But what happens a lot of times is the next step is we see them and then we go, yeah, but I don't really want to say anything. I might upset them. I might step on their toes. They might get mad at me. They might get defensive. And so what happens is a lot of times we see it. Oh, I should probably say something, but I'll let somebody else deal with that. And we don't. And we just continue to let it go. But here's the problem. When we do that, when we don't say those things, we ourselves need to grow up into Christ more. We need to see the fullness of the gospel better. See, the reason that I don't say stuff at different times is I go, oh, no, they might get upset at me. And I care more what people think than what Jesus has told me. I care more of men's opinion of me and how they might get upset than I do of my love for Jesus that I'm going to speak the truth when I see it. Do you ever have that problem? You go, oh, if I say this, they're going to get upset. And so we need to grow up into a fullness of Christ. 
that we we see that Jesus in Jesus, we are completely accepted and loved that God has you completely and totally in every way. And so if you say that you speak the truth with gentleness and humility and patience walking with someone and they get upset, you're okay because you're in Christ. I'm going to allow God to be God and let him sort this out and let the Holy Spirit bring conviction that I can't do. But sometimes we just stop. And so it's a gospel issue. We need to grow up into Christ more. So I actually need people in my life saying to me, you should have said that to him. And I think you didn't because you're afraid of what they might think of you. But Jesus loves and accepts you completely and totally already. And you can say that. Go, yeah. Right. You see how Jesus is being formed in me more fully. I'm seeing him as more glorious than anything else. And so we have to be able to speak the truth in love in those situations. But then there's another way we blow it. We go, that's right. I'm going to speak the truth in love. You become like a, a hyper truther. You're wrong and you're wrong and you're doing it bad and you're terrible and see you later. And if we do that, then we've totally missed verse two with all humility and gentleness and patience. And it says bearing with one another in love. You know what that word means? Holding each other up. It's not just walking around, just smacking people with the truth, right? Like you're two by four of truth and I'm just going to go around and hit everybody and tell them how wrong they are. That doesn't do any good. You just walk away going, what a jerk. But you do it with humility, right? Humility looks like, man, I do the same thing. And here's how Jesus answers that. And I need him just like you need him. And we encourage one another and we hold each other up. And when we do that, then Jesus becomes more real. And and I'm going to end here. And this is this is what becomes so important when we do that. Yes, we speak the truth. And that means sometimes your toes are going to get stepped on. I'm going to say things. You go, I I don't think we're believing here. But then if we're doing it with humility and and respect and, and patience and kindness as we're walking together. But the very next thing is going to go. But here's what's true of you now in Jesus. That God loves you completely and totally already because of what he's done in Christ. And we are all in process and none of us is perfect. But thanks be to God because he's done all of it already in Jesus. That he's going to finish the work that he started and that you are loved and accepted by God because of what Christ has done. Speaking the truth in love is you're going to get your toes stepped on and your heart's going to get revealed and there's going to be things that make you uncomfortable. But if we're doing it the way God has called us to do it, the very next thing is going to be pointing to how great Jesus is and what he's already finished. And you know what? That's really, really good news. Because you know you're not perfect. And if somebody comes alongside and they point that out, but then they point to you the answer and it's all Jesus. Yes. And what happens is your view of Jesus expands. That we see our sin and we see our mistakes and we see where we blow it. And then we're reminded that Jesus has taken care of all of it already. You go, oh, thanks be to God for what he's done for us in Jesus. And so I know this is not an easy thing. We're going to leave here today. And you go, yeah, that's right. Should do that. 
Then you get in your car and drive away. You go, yeah, maybe next week I'll see about a community group. Or, or maybe later on I'll think about getting involved in those ways. And it's real clear. We have to be involved with one another for this to happen. It's a very practical first step is if you're not involved with other people in the church, you're not involved in a community group, you're not meeting with some other men or some other women in a DNA group, start that today. We will help you get plugged in with other people. I will introduce you to some people that will gladly tell you you have a booger on your face. And it's usually not the first step you want to take. of like, great, hit me with it. But it's a good thing for your sanctification. It's the way God's designed us to grow. And so we need to step into those relationships together. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of what you've done for us. We thank you that the gospel is truly good news. That you've uh, done what we could never do for us. And for that, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you that... Uh, We could never finish this in and of ourselves. We thank you that you didn't come to give us better information, but that you came to save us. I thank you that our position is secure, that we are made new, that you love us, that we are fully in that. I pray that we would be a people that is involved with one another, that is encouraging one another, that is walking in that, that is speaking the truth and love to each other, but to remind one another of what you've done for us. Give us opportunities to do that. We pray for the courage to be able to speak the truth to one another. We pray for the humility to do it in a way that glorifies and honors you and it would be all about you and your name being great. We thank you and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.